Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. The DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. And greetings. Thank you for being here. This is Easy Weave. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on the DBN Network. Haven't talked to y'all in a while, so I forgot how to talk all of a sudden. Uh, but it is I, and we are uh, here to talk with you again about the state, uh, the ongoing state of our beloved Cleveland Browns. And uh, as we embark upon the most important offseason of our lifetimes, 2018, and uh, the uh, not the first time I've come to you this year, but it's it's been a little while. And, you know, there's there's uh, it's, it, there's good reason for that. I'm kind of at the end of a uh, uh, you know, work and rest cycle that has really kind of taken me out of the loop and plus there's not really been a whole lot to talk about we just had the super bowl the uh, eagles who i can't stand were victorious they came away with the prize defeating the patriots who i don't have any particular love for but i always like when uh, belichick and brady you know, well, not brady so much i don't really care about him but i like it whenever belichick wins because it uh, proves to people that said he was a you know back back in the day back in the 90s people thought belichick was the worst coach uh, in the world when he was coaching the browns and they were wrong so every time he wins a super bowl it always kind of verify not that it matters and none of this stuff ever matters but at any rate it's um, it didn't go down like that. The Eagles just, I mean, with a fantastic game plan offensively and defensively. I mean, defensively, they got shredded because the Patriots are – Tom Brady is playing quarterback at a level. That, that game, you know, first off, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but the Super Bowl, the one thing about that game – and Nick Foles, you got to hand it to Nick Foles. Dude played out of his mind. I mean, really. He, and, I, and I don't know if he's that he's – a, he's a, certainly he's a good quarterback, but he's uh, – I mean, he has the capability of having flashes where he played like that. Uh, really, for the two playoff games, one against Atlanta was over, it was all right, but it was really uh, the two playoff matches against Minnesota and then New England, where he just really, really, uh, I think probably overperformed given what you can expect. That uh, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe he's been in the league long enough to where it's all just clicking together for him because he looked like. But even at that, even watching what he did, comparing that to what Brady was doing, because Brady, I mean, it's you, you know, he's he's. So much of, I mean, there, there'd be times where he'd have a guy, you know, hitting him or on him, and he gets the ball off with, you know, like no time left. I mean, the last possible second, and he gets to these spots where these receivers are wide open. And to me, it reminds me of when Peyton, at the end of his career, was like, okay, the arm strength wasn't there because of the neck thing. And so, but his anticipation was just so above any other, anybody else playing at the position. He was able to put balls in places, uh, w- you know, with anticipation and not arm strength, kind of like the, the pinnacle of what Cod Kessler could have become. 
Uh, not to say that his arm was as weak as Peyton Manning's, but you get what I'm saying. And that's Brady is, is you know, Brady has still has a, a fine arm. There's nothing wrong with the arm strength as far as he goes. But he was also, um, he, as, as he's playing quarterback at a level that few have ever played. So that's, that's what he was doing out there. And the Eagles got exactly, I think, one stop. <laughs> and it was at the end of the game, right, where they needed to. And they were able to, I thought it was interesting, Collinsworth, who I, you know, don't, um, take a whole lot of. He, it's unfortunate because he actually kind of is decent at the color commentary gig. I just don't like him personally because he used to play for the Bengals. Nothing, nothing really more than just you know hometown honk. Uh, you know, just just don't like the guy because he was with the Bengals. That's all. But uh, he actually made an interesting point because on that final play, um, I forget who it even is now. I want to say Brandon Carr, but that's not the guy's name. But either either way. He uh, basically pass rushed like a defensive end, but he was going against a tackle. Or, I mean, uh, going against a guard. So, and the other, the uh, the defensive end was going out super wide, you know, going way around. And so you had, and that which takes the tackle out of the equation and allows for a seam. And that's exactly what happened. He got through, punched the ball out, game over at that point, basically. Uh, so you know, whatever. Um, good job for uh, Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman and that whole group over there that I don't like. Um, but, hey, at least it wasn't Pittsburgh or Baltimore, so whatever. Uh, it's and, and we get back at it next year. And Philadelphia, you know, they lost um, presumably at the, at the time of this uh, cast. It's not yet fully known if uh, Frank Reich has taken the position with the Indianapolis Colts. What an interesting deal there this week, too. Um, but it, it, that's the word on the street that Reich – is going to take over, and then um, John DeFilippo, called you know lo- loosely uh, referred to as Flip by those of us because he was here when uh, in the second year of Petten, and really made uh, Ivan Drago look like a, like a quarterback. He made him look like he could actually play, and so that was a really good uh, acquisition that we had at the time. And of course, we ran him off when we fired everybody after the f- 2015 season. Well, that dude just now took a job with the Vikings, so now the the two I think two guys that were pretty instrumental to the Eagles being able to get what they've been able to get out of the quarterback position. Not to say that Carson Wentz is not a solid talent. Or the Nick Foles isn't, for that matter. But I think that the I think that the big difference in the Super Bowl was the Eagles were quite honestly, which is amazing. They were a better coached team. They just they had a better game plan. Not to say that the Belichick team was poorly coached, but you know sometimes you just go up against somebody that they just beat you, you know, and that's what happened. They, they the Eagles just beat the Patriots, um, and so that's uh, that that's how it went down. And all right, cool, whatever. Um, it's it's uh, fine by me. And like I said, I don't really care. I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any hatred. But I don't have any love for the Patriots either. Um, so whatever. I mean, that, we are now officially on to the off season, the most important off season of our lifetimes, twenty eighteen. And we are uh, the the. This is the step in the process. There's not really a whole lot going on right at this moment. Today is February the ninth. So we've got some time here in between um, the the Super Bowl kind of ending and now the new ye- league year beginning. And then at that point, we're going to have uh, free agency. And before then, we're going to have the period uh, from which players can be tagged by their respective teams. But um, when they sign the tag is really up to them. Kind of an interesting – a couple of interesting things. I mentioned the Indianapolis Colts. What's interesting with them is that Josh McDaniels, the coach of the Patriots, before we get off of that kind of national topic, he he was scheduled to – well, he was hired. He had an agreement to become the new coach of the Colts. And then after hiring a, a staff 
and getting everybody ready to move in and take over as the new head coach um, at the last second. And as he's already, as he, you know, he's still assembling people. And at the last second, he bailed uh, on the on the project. He said, "Nope, I'm going to continue to be the OC for." The Patriots. A lot of people think this is the end of his career. Like, there's no way anybody's ever going to uh, hire him to. Co- I, I'm not so sure, but the uh, because I'm, I'm not. I'm just not sure how much fluidity there is with these types of gigs to begin with. Like, I don't know anything about the assistants, what they were doing, or or how easy it is for them to get back the jobs that they lost, or even if they lost them, or if they're just basically going to be paid by Indianapolis now. You know, the word was that they were going to stay on the team, they were going to stay on the staff um, with, when a new coach is brought in. So when you bring in a new coach, you say, hey, oh yeah, by a condition to this, um, you you know, you have to bring on these guys because we have them under contract. I would think, I would th- probably, sorry about that, I would think that more than likely what's going on or what would go on there is that you've got people that would um, uh, would simply I lost my train of thought here. Is this, is my, I'm holding the microphone as opposed to having it on the stand, so it's definitely uh, thrown off my my uh, uh, concentration, as it were, which is already lackadaisical, um, you know, missing or I should, lacking. That's that's really kind of the the uh, the better word to describe uh, where my general attentiveness runs even when i'm talking i sometimes it's hard for me to keep attention on what i am saying so something like a a microphone slipping out or something like that um will just cause me but at any rate talking about the the um assistant coaching positions and whether or not these guys uh had like like i don't think that you would have a coach where you'd force it on so most likely what's going to happen is they're going to um pay their salary like and it's kind of like we were paying uh, uh, what's his? The guy that was our uh, defensive Ray uh, Horton. We were paying that dude from when he was he was Chud's defensive coordinator for the one year he was with us, and then we fired everybody, including him, and then rehired him a couple of years later as Hughes guy. So we were paying. Now, I mean, now they they reworked it out, so he was just being paid a lump sum at that point or whatever it was. But um, during that time that he wasn't in Cleveland, he was still getting paid by the Browns because the Browns basically bought out his contract. So maybe that's what happened. Will, will happen with these guys. I don't know, um, but it is an interesting development, and it will be interesting to see if it does end up putting the kibosh on the career of Josh McDaniels. And it's assumed at this point that he would just kind of hang out to take the Pats job once Belichick retires. But I'm here to tell y'all, Belichick ain't fitting to stop down, step down anytime soon. He's got a situation there that I mean, I know that he's you know up there in years, but the guy the guy lives to coach football. You know, how do you put a, a price tag or how do you put an order of priority on it? You live to do something. This is what he lives to do. So I, I just, I don't I don't see it happening. And the Patriots will come back. Uh, I, you know, if Brady comes back next year, they're the odds-on favorite to represent the AFC again. And probably as long as Brady is playing, because he's playing quarterback at a level that, like I say, few people in history ever have or ever will play at. And and he's not shown any signs of, of, of physical deterioration, so... All that to say that, uh, and, and by the way, if um, it doesn't work out with Reich going to the Colts, then I I will go back on if anybody within the Colts, Jim Irsay, if you happen to be listening to this to this uh, cast, which I'm sure you are, because you know that's just the thing to do. Um, you should consider Rob Chudzinski, you know, the guy that we uh, had here for a year, and you should consider him too, because uh, he I think guy was a good coach. 
uh, one of our former coaches finally got another shot, Pat Shermer. The guy that was the coach when Jimmy Haslam took over. You know when Jimmy Haslam took over, the next week, like, he purchased the team. And that was on a day, whatever day, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. It was like Jimmy Haslam was going to be the owner of the team. And I remember it was kind of surprising when it happened, but it was like, oh, okay, well, we got this new guy. That Sunday, the following Sunday, is when Shermer and Whedon went out there and just mollywopped the Kansas City Chiefs. That's when uh, Romeo came back and had Brady Quinn at quarterback, and it was like 30-7. to We just stomped all over him. And then we had – but that might have been – the week after that was when – uh, we were playing the Redskins at home, and Kirk Cousins came out there. He was the rookie because Griffin – I remember watching this. Griffin had gotten hurt playing the Ravens the week before, and they had beat Baltimore, but then Cousins was coming. And Cousins just came in and carved us – I mean, just absolutely just took us apart. And at the time, it was like, well, I guess okay, I guess we're terrible because a rookie backup quarterback just came in. and Well, it turns out Kirk Cousins is pretty good. And, uh, of course, we're talking about him uh, as, as it goes along, but – you know, that was – that was how many of those types of games has Jimmy Haslam seen since he fired Pat Shermer, who's now going to become the head coach of the, the Giants? Not very many. Maybe the one – we had the one against Pittsburgh. But I'm just – you know, if of all – it's just a constant thing with me. Of all the things that Haslam uh, can be, you know, debited for, if you're going to credit somebody because you debit – you know, take – Give, give somebody the business for in terms of the operation of the team and why we are where we are. It's the, the, the giving up on people. And Shermer was the first one, gave up on that dude. Well, you know, now another team is going to give them after, after. And you know what? I, I have to imagine. Don't you think that some small part of the Giants' consideration when it comes to Pat Shermer, who had head coaching experience with uh, what was his record here with us? Was it like nine and 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 uh, <clears throat> would probably be like twenty three or twenty four or something? Not, it couldn't be good. So why would they give him? Don't you think that maybe some of it has to do with other teams looking at us and being like, you know, this guy didn't do very well, but how much of it was him and how much of it was the you know? What are we? We're not even. We're not even a dumpster fire. We're a. We're a, a. A. An airplane that crashes into a train that is, and both of them tumble into a. A. You know, a. A dump of smoldering tires that are on fire. I mean, it's that's what we have been. It's certainly, it's been accelerated over the last couple of years, and it wouldn't surprise me if teams were to look at us and be like, "Yeah, I don't want any part of that. I don't want." I. I or I, more importantly, maybe we have because in the past when we've considered this guy Shermer. It's like, yeah. He bombed out in cleveland maybe it wasn't maybe it was cleveland maybe it's not Shermer. and i hate to be that way but i'm not it, it, this is not me trashing the city of cleveland obviously that i'm from that area so it's not that's not it at all what i'm saying is that the issue is our owner and until you know until and and i say until that problem is fixed talking about it today uh the idea that the statute of limitations has almost run out on the pilot flying j uh case the rebate rebate gate thing is is there's nothing that's going to come of that but even if it did d's going to run the team and given you know the the what appeared to go down with the whole sashy firing it, it doesn't look like she's any any uh in any better straits to handle the team than than uh, jimmy is but the thing i mean i can't I, I can't really be too critical because he did actually this offseason do the one thing that i've been you know begging him to do and that's stick with somebody for more than two years problem is he chose the worst possible guy Whatever, it's what it is. And I'm going to get off Hughes back because the guy, you know, 
had a lot of rookies, had a lot of you know developing players, and yet he still kept those guys together. And you know, I got I got to commend him for that. And of course, what's different? I don't know if we've talked about this since, but uh, Todd Haley hired as the offensive coordinator. Gonna uh, not just hired as the offensive coordinator. Apparently, the deal is, is that he is going to actually call the plays, call the offensive plays, which is a area that a lot of people were hoping Hugh would relinquish. A lot of people were hoping that exactly this would happen. In fact, I don't know that you really could be for for this. And, and I was not among those, by the way. Not to say that I was uh, opposed to it or whatever. I just I didn't think it was likely. I didn't think that if you were seriously going to stay with Hugh, that you could take away the thing that makes him Hugh, which is his you know play calling, or at least that's 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 the that's the management style, or it has been to this point. Well, you, they did take it away, whether it was by you know Hughes, and and of course Hughes like, oh yeah, that's great. He brings an element that's that's awesome, and, and oh, what's he going to say if it was forced on him? And the, some of the speculation, well, you know, now the Dorsey's in charge. He's in there, and he's, you know, getting his guy. I, I don't think that you can assume, and honestly, this is, the, this is the thing that we always have to continue to remember. I don't think that you can assume that Dorsey is in charge of anything. I think that he's probably going to be in charge of, of uh, drafting the players. I, I think that part of it, yeah, he'll, he'll be the guy, ultimately, that, it, and hopefully he will be smart and, you know, trust what his scouts say. And don't be influenced by you know what what the coaches think or I mean obviously they're going to have input but I'm saying um, you know don't let the homeless guy t- just do what you're there to do because ultimately you're going to be the one that is judged by how these guys get drafted if you try to do something to appease somebody you're going to be the one holding the bag for it it's just the way that it happens all that said. I don't think that he's I don't think I would love it if it were the case, by the way. I would be great if our hierarchy was that Jimmy is the owner, he's got a team president, and Dorsey reports to the team president and the head coach reports to Dorsey. And all of the coaches report to the head coach and all the players report to the various coaches. You know, that's that's the way it would be. But what's what has always happened and what's likely to continue to happen is that Hugh reports to Jimma. And Dorsey reports to Jimma. And so they're both reporting to the same both of them have the same pipeline meaning they're basically competing with each other for the attention of the owner and not just attention but we got a 1 in 31 team going on here. This is they're 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 it's about blame shifting. It's about taking the um the situation saying I'm not the one that's responsible for it. Look at that. At least that's the way that it has usually typically been applied, which is why we always have this animosity in the last go round uh Hugh won and Sashi Brown lost. And so here we are. And that's fine. Uh, It's not fine. It means that we're basically never, ever, ever, ever going to fix this. Because even if we were to fire Hugh, um, whoever we brought in the next guy is probably going to be another guy that's going to impress Jimmy Haslam, get in his ear. And then if we are at that point, Dorsey's been in here for two years. Uh, you know, let's say we fire Hugh after this season or during the season, a new guy comes in, but he's not going to be able to do anything. He's still got a bunch of young players, still got a young roster, probably going to have a rookie quarterback playing. So then he goes out, doesn't play, and at that point, he's the new guy. He's not blamed for anything, but he is going to probably, because he's competing for with the owner, he's going to be talking about, well, you know, maybe if Dorsey would have got me this guy or that guy, or maybe Dorsey, real football player. You see how this works? So this is, th- that right there, That that is exactly what my expectation is for the Cleveland Browns. But... Even though I expect it, which is to say what I expect is we're never going to get better. It's never going to improve. And I don't mean that. Look, I'm not saying this in a – because I could be wrong. I mean, look, some people can take what I'm saying as – you know, take heart in what I'm saying because they think that I'm wrong about everything all the time. And, I mean, I got my hits and misses, but 
you know, whatever. If it makes you feel good about it, then, you know, saddle up. But I, my, my whole point is it doesn't have to be that way. And you know what? Maybe Haslam will learn over time. I just, you know, I'm just not holding out a whole lot uh, of hope. But at the same time, this offseason could change a lot of my perceptions about this team. Like, if we go out there and in the uh, there's a couple of free agents, you know, mentioned Kirk Cousins. It's a good time to talk about him. I am, um, I think that as we get closer to the time, and, and with Washington now, they've traded for, apparently, they have traded for Alex Smith, the quarterback for the Chefs. So that means that, it's a couple of things. That takes Alex Smith off the table. It also takes Mahomes off the table. Unless the chefs don't like Mahomes and they want uh, one of the four guys that are available this year. And by the way, any time that I am referring to the four guys when it comes to this draft, it is, of course, Baker Mayfield, number one. And then tied at number two are Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, and Sam Darnold. Those are the four that I'm always referring to. And I'm, my uh, position is always that we need, we need to come away with one of those four guys. But it never, ever, 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 ever includes Josh Allen. Josh Allen is definitely outside. He's probably five, and I, I might even have him tied with Mason Rudolph. But definitely the next tier down. Anyway, um, unless the, the, you know, the Chiefs are looking at one of those four guys, like we like him better than Mahomes, who we didn't even want, and this guy Dorsey wanted instead – then I could see them maybe trading Mahomes for the four and maybe throwing in something because there'd be some kind of sweetener in there, I'm sure, for either side, just to say whatever. Is that, I mean, that's not, I mean, is, is that totally out of the realm of, of possibility? I mean, I would think that since they, they traded Smith, they probably like Mahomes, and why not? The guy's going to be a stud. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's something to think about. I mean, would you, if you had the chance to get Mahomes for the number four, what, first of all, if you knew you had that deal, like if the Chiefs are like, look, if you guys don't draft a quarterback at one, or even if you do, we like all four of these guys. If you guys don't draft a quarterback at one and you're sitting there at four, or if you if you decide that you can live without drafting a guy at number four after you've drafted a quarterback, now that's not going to work because if we drafted a quarterback, we're not going to want Mahomes. You, could, you know, you work out a deal where they get Kaiser. I'm saying maybe the Chiefs are like, we really like one of these guys. We will work out a deal where you get Mahomes, and then what do we do at that point? Because we're not going to give them the one, but what do we do with the one? You know, would we trade it down in order to get a, a stockpile of picks? I'm pretty sure that's what Sashi would do. Or do we just take, like, Bradley Chubb? If, if we were to take a position player that was not a quarterback, I, I there's no way I'm, it's anybody but Bradley Chubb for me, who, in my estimation, is another Garrett. And if you have two of those guys, I love Agba. <clears throat> I love Agba. And I, I love Garrett, and I wouldn't mind having another one of those guys. You know, three pass rushers off the edge. I realize there's only two edges, but there's more than one play. You know what I'm saying? You can have rotation and, you know, guys having putting spending a ridiculous and absurd amount of high caliber resources on the pass rush. I think it's pretty worthwhile, right? I think of all the things that you're going to, you know, spend resources on. That's the thing that's probably the most that's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. No, I think it probably will. And if it's not that it's going to be quarterback or protecting the quarterback, that's basically it, right? It's quarterback protecting the quarterback, rushing the passer or and then after that in my estimation, it's getting him, you know, guys that he can, you know, ca- that can catch the ball and or getting guys that can defend the pass like as in the, the defensive secondary. Uh but anyway, I mean that that's, you know, we've gone over the roster and we'll continue to do so because I think that looking at our overall situation here and i'm not you know getting off the crazy trade scenarios i'm just saying that the chances of our in in the conversation to dra- to trade for any of either of the guys on kansas city would seem to 
have lessened significantly with the move to Washington. But the the idea that we could go after Kirk Cousins, the free agent quarterback, uh, I think has has opened up greatly because of where we are positioned. Uh, so but what, what I was getting at earlier is I think that I would rather draft one of these four. I would definitely rather draft Mayfield. But even if it's not Mayfield and it's one of the other three, again, never talking about Josh Allen whenever I talk about the top four, but I think I would rather have one of those three than to have Kirk Cousins. And I may modify on that. I'm just, I really do believe that this draft class is special. And I really do like the four candidates, all of them. I like all of them. If Mayfield was not on the board and any of those other three were the top quarterback in the class, I'd be high five, slam dunk. This is, let's go, let's do it. Because they're fantastic prospects. It just so happens that they're all coming out in the same year. And unfortunately for those three guys, Mayfield's the best of the bunch. And it's just my opinion on the matter. And that's really the one thing I wanted to talk about today more than anything else is uh, Baker Mayfield. There's not really a whole lot more, I think, that, you know, people are doing their, their diligence at the moment. They are. Uh, watching tape i've done this not you know i'm not completed like i don't think i don't think you ever are completed until uh probably the draft itself i'm constantly watching tape and studying guys and looking at stats and everything else so you know in in this process people are are seeing you know and and it's understandable i mean some guys weren't really paying attention until you know after the college season and the pro season ends and maybe as much thought as they put into it's always a short guy i'm not going to really pay any the more people pay attention the more impressive uh that he is as far as i'm concerned and that seems to bear out with more exposure to the guy's actual game but the issue that people have I, I and I and I don't want to conflate uh, too many things here. I certainly don't want to uh, yeah, put words in anybody's mouth or thoughts in anybody's mind about why they think what they think about anything. Quite honestly, but particularly about this subject. But I do. I, I, I think it's undeniable that there's this uh, idea that Mayfield is just too much like Johnny Manziel. And that's too much of a risk. And I understand that. I mean, you guys remember how that whole thing ended, right? You remember how it was It was after the season had ended, right? But he was, um, you know, showed up to the final game of the season, you know, cr- you know half crocked. It was not, and they didn't even let him suit up. It was a big embarrassing thing. Uh, but then after that, he, he puts on a blonde wig and goes to some club in Vegas by himself where he wants to be referred to as Billy. This is all, this is all part of the, just type in Billy Vegas and, uh, in, in the Google and, and maybe type in Browns just for good measure. And you will see, uh, exactly what I'm talking about. And this, this, this happened. Okay. And that was, that was kind of like the comic relief cherry on top of the nightmare Sunday. That was the two year experiment of Johnny Manziel. And it had really nothing. This is what's kind of ironic about the, um, about the comparison. I think a lot of people compare the two quarterbacks because they are similar in the most non-important ways. They are they are, they are about the same height. Johnny was a shorter quarterback prospect. Mayfield is a shorter quarterback prospect. Just about just about six and a half feet. So, um, that that's the, they both played. I mean, uh, Baker comes from Big Twelve. Manziel played in the SEC the first year that the SEC that that A uh, and M joined the SEC. They were the Big Twelve. They were in the Big Twelve prior to that. So, I, you know, they're an SEC team, but really they were more of a, of a, of a um, 
of a, of a big they were really a kind of a big twelve. So they had similar similar but not identical um, offensive systems if you want to look at it from that standpoint from the way that the, their college teams played um and but if you look at them if you if you spent a lot of time looking at Johnny Manziel's face the first time you see Baker Mayfield is like whoa okay I can and, and now this actually uh, appreciates over time um but I can understand all of this to say is that I understand where People are hesitant because even the, the 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 halfway resemblance to that horrific and horrifying period in our history is one that ought to be avoided at all costs. But if you look at the way they actually play on the field, there's not a whole lot similar about them. There really is not. Mayfield is such a much more polished passer from the pocket at every level. Manziel, I'm not to say not to say that Manziel was not a good passer. That he, I mean, Manziel had a very solid college accuracy. I thought his arm was was uh, fine. It wasn't anything special. Mayfield's is better, but arm strength is is another one of those things. Again, it's not. It's it's one of the, it's one of the most focused on least important things in my view when it comes to evaluating whether or not a quarterback is going to be good or not. The thing is, is that people are assuming the worst about Johnny because of the physical characteristics even though it's based on the 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 similarities of their of presumably of their play which are not similar at all is the point but even more importantly than that the Manzel pick didn't you know wasn't I mean the guy showed while he was here not a whole lot but he showed enough during the time that he was here that if he would have just been able to settle down focus in uh, you know, arrest his demons or anything, whatever it is that he needed to do, he could have probably been successful here. He had the tools to do it. That Pittsburgh game, that one Pittsburgh game, that yeah, we lost, and we, and we, but I mean that you could see in that game for the first time he looked like a pro quarterback. He was dropping back, he was running an offense, he was doing it. You know, and and he looked good. He looked good doing it. Like, okay, you, we could build off this, but it never happened. And it never happened because Manziel was a guy that was not football was not the most important thing in his life. For a number of reasons, and, and it, we're, we're talking about different personality types, and that's really what it comes down to. Baker Mayfield is not Johnny Manziel because they are just different people. They are just, a lot of times we try to typecast. I think this is a mistake that we just make as people, and, and this is not like, you know, easy's commentary on society. I'm, I'm talking really more about, um, you know, football prognosticators and people that are, that do this type of stuff, that kind of do the amateur scouting and it, like one phrase that I don't like, and, and invariably whenever I say this, I end up doing it. But I don't like it whenever you, whenever people refer to a a a typecast of a player, and they use a singular player's name in the plural, like oh the Peyton Mannings or the Tom Brady's or the Drew Breeses of the. No, those are individuals that all have very unique characteristics, and. Everybody does, and that's not just in the football realm. That's everybody. Everybody in the world is a unique. Um, you know, it, it, way different from anybody else in the world. Uh, picture everybody is, is a collection of various things. You got good, you got bad, you got whatever. Um, but but that's everybody, and it's the same with with you know, looking at these quarterbacks. So we when you try to typecast and say, well, this other guy was similarly oriented, and thus because they are similar and he didn't work out, the other guy isn't going to work out. I would check the premise in the first place that they are that similar because oftentimes, I mean, how often are quarterbacks that are, you know, compared to guys coming out of, do they actually ever really resemble in a serious way the guys that they're compared to as they're coming out of college? I'm seriously asking, can you ever, do you ever remember watching a guy two, three years after he was, uh, you know, being scouted and he was, oh, this guy is a good comp for, I don't know, Cam Newton or whoever, uh, 
Jamarcus, Ru- whoever it is that you know, you, you, you whatever end of the spectrum you're on, where you, this this guy could be the next. Does a guy ever actually end up being anything like that guy that he's compared to? Not usually. Am I wrong? I mean, tell me, uh, uh, think of an example in your own mind where after watching a guy for a couple years, like, yep, he's just like old so-and-so that he was compared to. And it doesn't usually happen because everybody's different is the point. And everybody's different physically and everybody's different mentally. It's why I say there are, it is true that there are guys out there that should start right away. And there are other guys out there that should sit, you know, for a little bit before they play. And of those guys that should start right away, if they don't play right away, some of those guys, they're going to be just fine. They'll end up picking it up. They would have been better. They would have um, you know, matured, and they would have progressed and developed better faster had you done it that way. But whatever, they'll still be, they'll, they'll still be good. They'll still get there. And other guys, it'll totally wreck, wreck them if they don't get in there right away, pick up on whatever momentum they had in college, and it, it just falls flat, and that's it for them forever. Similarly, there are guys that if they should sit right away and you end up throwing them into the fire, they end up, you know, struggling a little bit, but they pick it up and they, they you know, they, they, uh, they do all right. Or you have guys that you put them in that position and they just fall flat on their face. What I'm saying is that there are no one-size-fits-all rules for any of this stuff. And thus, when you are looking at Baker Mayfield, you are looking like you're looking at a prospect unlike any other prospect that has ever been. And the same thing is true about Johnny Manziel. The same thing is true about uh, whoever, Sam Darnold, you know, Jared Goff, Connor Cook, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, uh, I don't, whoever it is, wh- whoever it is over the last several years that you spent time watching tape on, that guy is unique. That guy is not like any other guy that's playing in the league now or ever. Doesn't mean that he's going to have similar, you know, can or can people have similar characteristics? Certainly, certainly, you can you can do things like another guy does them, but you're not going to do everything like another guy does them. Even if you model your game after them, because you're going to be your own dude. You're going to be your own guy. There's this whole um, uh, uh, exercise called brain typing that'd be worth getting into when it comes to talking about some of this. There's this guy. His name's Neednoggle. He was a. And if I've talked about this before, and you're like rolling your eyes, yeah, shut up. I've heard about the brain typing thing before. I don't want to hear about. It. I, I don't know. I honestly don't remember if I've talked about this before. So if, if you haven't heard this before, hopefully it's it's interesting. But it's it's a it's this guy Neednoggle back in the '90s was working with NFL teams, and he and it, he's not the originator of this. There's people that have come up with this in the past, but he really honed in on uh, athletic characteristics of players. But it's the the concept of brain typing is where essentially every Everybody fits into 16 disparate and unique classifications based on their own unique um, personality types. This is usually formulated by answering a series of questions that aren't, uh, they're like Rorschach questions, basically how do you view the world? What are the things that are important to you? What are the most important to you? What are the least important to you? That sort of stuff. And from that, you kind of get you know, as as this is so counterintuitive because I just said don't pigeonhole people. It does kind of pigeonhole you into a group, uh, one of these uh, sixteen subsets, and they do tend to be at least on everybody that I know that did this little test, like like pretty crazily accurate. Like for me, the the thing was like, yeah, 
generally it's somebody that is so you know their their thought structure is so weird that they end up going all the way around the mountain to get what to whatever the hell point they're driving at um and if you are the listener are there you're probably going to wonder why they're going in that direction but you're going to find that the that it's worth the ride at the end or something like that which i mean hey does that describe me i mean ultimately i go off on these tangents but at the end of it you get this nice full package like all right i felt like i had a meal there you know i I feel like i'm full um it may not have been exactly the flavor i was going for but whatever i mean that's that's hopefully what that's hopefully what you get when you come here too (laughs) but the the, um the whole point is that uh in this this guy's world that he's able to look at um physical characteristics and be able to determine that or i should say he's able to take the brain characteristics and typecast them in a way to where they match the physical characteristics that tend to accompany such people and because of that people then become good at some things bad at other things really good at some things almost you know um uh you know non-existent in th- and as it relates specifically to sports and like how certain because there are certain uh, types that for golf it's perfect for football it's not and so on and so forth so you throw that into the mix the fact that whether or not you agree okay that there are unique classifications and I, if, if trust me if anybody actually wants to get into this more there's a lot more to it than all of this and i'll be happy to talk about it uh, but i'm not going to talk about any more in this all other than to say that everybody is different and everybody reacts to things differently. So even if you had a guy that had a similar, and I'm not saying that this is the case, but even if you had a guy that had a similar background to Johnny Manziel, it had the same sort of, of party lifestyle that Manziel had, that doesn't actually necessarily mean that the guy is still going to flame out as badly as Manziel did. Because? Because why? Because we've all seen and we all know that there are a whole bunch of dudes out there that can party it up on Saturday and then ball out on Sunday. It happens. There's people that do it. And so it's not a... Um, it, it's it really became more of an attitudinal thing. Well, how do you you know drill down to... How do you... It's, it's just like the Justin uh, Gilbert uh, paradigm. You know, How do you determine a guy's heart? How do you determine what... Now, for me, you know, everybody is unique. Baker Mayfield is unique in the sense that nobody in the history of college football has ever won the Heisman after walking on. I mean, what an amazing accomplishment that is. And that speaks to a sort of toughness mentally. I mean, you realize that uh, there's a reason why that's never happened, because the only guy, the guys that are going to end up winning the Heisman are the guys that are going to end up getting a a lot of exposure, right? How are you going to get a lot of exposure? You're going to get exposure by playing. The guys that are going to play are the guys that are going to be heavily recruited, which is to say the guys that are are walking on, it makes perfect sense why you would never have a guy that would win the Heisman as a walk-on. That's why Mayfield winning it is that much more impressive. And the the two things that are, and I'm saying all of this because there are there. I, I think that it is reasonable and and very legitimate to look at the um, you know to look at the Manzel situation and you know des- decide for yourself. I don't want any part of it if it even looks, smells, or anything at all. I don't want. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Not going to have anything to do with it. And I understand the sentiment. The problem is, is that you're not really, even if you were to, even if the guy had a party, which it doesn't appear like Mayfield does, but even if he did, that doesn't mean, first of all, 
That doesn't mean that you are going to be um, that you're that the guy is not going to work out. Number one, but the converse of that, you know, a guy that's that's a you know he, he's you know he's he's in bed at nine o'clock every Saturday night and he's you know not he's doing everything exactly the right way. He's got his head in his playbook. He's a gym rat. He's gritty. All that good stuff that you like out of a guy, and he could still suck, right? I mean, it's like Deshaun Kaiser. As much as I love him uh, as a guy, as a dude, and he's got he's he's the most physically like. You couldn't chisel a quarterback and make him look more like this is what an NFL quarterback looks like than Deshaun Kaiser, and and I'm not and look at I st- I think that there's still the story is there's still a lot of the story of Deshaun Kaiser left to be told quite honestly, but he just he didn't have it year one and it it does whether he it works out for him or not having the stature doesn't mean anything having the the personality doesn't necessarily mean anything. So you have to then ask the question, well, I mean, do we need for all of our guys to be, you know, clean and pure as the wind-driven snow? Why would any – first of all, before even answering whether or not that question – whether or not that should be the standard, why do we assume that that's even possible? I mean, why do we assume that anybody – I kind of – look, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a dude. I've lived life. I, I'm, there's nothing – um, that makes me particularly unique in, in as far as the human, especially the American experience. I understand that these are all young guys. Most of them probably have uh, had people just you know lavishing praise on them for you know their entire athletic life. You know, from the time they were able to pick up a ball or, or you know run or anything or or a bat or whatever they they've been treated like that's all sports, but particularly about football. From the moment they were it was kind of identified as having elite type you know skills that could actually wow this kid could actually play pro ball someday. They got treated differently in most cases. Um, certainly not in every case, but in, in, in a lot of cases, that's that's the deal. So I don't. In other words, when you have this is not, and I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody. That's not the point of all of this. It's just to say that I get, I can understand if that is your life experience. Um, then I get it that when I mean, look, I didn't have that life experience. I you know grew up on a on a. Uh, well, on a, on a large plot of land. We weren't farmers, but we, you, it was a farm at one point. We raised the pig one time. Actually, the pig story. I don't know if I told the pig story. I'm not going to tell the pig story right now. But at any rate, we, we, what I'm saying is that it was modest, right? Very, very modest means. Um, and then I you know, had, it, <laughs> had worked a whole bunch of odd jobs, did a whole bunch of things. Um, and even at that, I was debaucherous and did a whole bunch of stuff that, uh, you know, I, I'm not necessarily, you know, wouldn't want to put it in, you know, in, in the story of my life, you know, the, the movie to be, you know, uh, produced at the time of my passing or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I'm, none of us, even those of us that don't come from circumstances where everything is thrown at you from the time that people are willing to are, are, are can see are willing to convince themselves that they see, you know, serious pro-athletic ability. Um, so I, if, if I, you know, of meager uh, background, and, you know, was unable to avoid all of that and, and, uh, and made, you know, my own decisions and so on, and I turned out all right as it, as it, as it happened, um, but if I can't, I can't very well, you know, look at these guys that have had all of this stuff. Uh, it, it, in other words, it's just... It's difficult for me to assume that anybody, that absolutely anybody that's coming into the league is just a a, a choir boy a choir boy or a boy scout, uh, whichever of those you you are you dislike the least. <laughs> but even with that, um, where is it shown that the choir bo- the choir boy or the boy scout is going to lead to success? I mean, maybe it should. Maybe the the you know the. <clears throat> 
the, the moral of the story should be that if you do things the right way, you're going to be rewarded. But, I mean, look, the Ravens are built a statue for a guy that at very least, okay, at very least, he obstructed justice in a murder investigation, okay? So, you know, I, that, that's at very least that happened. And does it, did it matter? Is that going to keep that guy out of the Hall of Fame? Eh. Didn't he already make the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I, I don't care um, because it's it, that's I hate that franchise so much, and he's like the poster child for that franchise. And, and yeah, okay, and you have the uh, the Steelers, you know, uh, Roethlisberger, another one. I you know, with all of whatever it is that he's been involved in, um, they they're still in the playoffs every year, aren't they? And they still kick our faces in every time we play them, right? I'm saying it's not just that I I, I don't care about a lot of what these guys again unless it is i mean we all have a line right if you find out that a guy's and actually <laughs> i was listening to um to joe thomas who i'm, I'm gonna talk about that because he's he's awesome and just the, what what they're doing there uh haven't haven't caught as much of the tomahawk thing but although that looks looks re- really really impressive but just had a chance to finally listen to joe uh but he's making the point that you know <laughs> uh you know ask a guy um it was a combine question. What are you going to do with a brick? And he's like, you know, and he's like, wow, well, the answer is I'm going to take the brick and kill a guy with it. And, and the guy's like, oh, okay, he's a little crazy, but, you know, I kind of want that in my linebacker. You know, so I, I get, I get um, uh, the, the, uh, it, just because a guy, like, it may very well be that a guy that exhibits poor judgment in real life actually is a really good football player. And honestly, I'm not really I'm not really concerned about fielding the team of the most I don't know upstanding individuals. Uh, does it need to be like the Bengals where you know everybody is basically out on on work release? No, it doesn't need to be like that. But it's it could be more like kind of you know the Raiders in the '70s. They would you know they won a lot of games just by intimidating people. Uh, I'm pretty sure they beat the Vikings in the Super Bowl the day before when the Vikings showed up. You know, they, I think it was Ahmad Rashad telling that story where they showed up and they're all in their uh, suits and everything. The Vikings are there in their suits and they're all ready to go. And then the, the the Raiders showed up and they were like it was like a bunch of bikers and they're all like, and they said they at that moment they knew what was going to happen in the game. And the Raiders just went out there and destroyed them. Well, I mean, it was, there was an intimidation factor with that team, and I don't know how much of that can exist in the contemporary NFL. But I just I want the guy that's going to go out there and football the hardest. That's it. That's all I really care about. Um, and that's not to say that I want a scumbag on the team, it's, but it is to say that, eh, you know, I mean, James Harrison and the stuff that he was involved with, and he's going to go down as a Steelers legend. Um you know, I would I would love it if everybody was Joe Thomas and just an awesome guy that was also a great player. But uh, and and all of it, look, even with all of that, right? I mean, this is almost like I'm saying that yeah, I'm good with Baker Mayfield, scumbag. That he, I don't know that there's anything you can say about Baker Mayfield that really rises to that level. What's I mean, as far as I know, and people can correct me if I'm wrong about this. There's basically two things, right? There's the he ran from the cops that one time. Now, as I understand the story, there was a fight going on with two guys that he was not one of them. He then broke up the fight and called the cops. Maybe I'm wrong about him calling the cops, but um, while the cops were there, he was disorderly, whatever. And there's video of him, you know, evading arrest. He basically took off running like a drunken idiot kid, and the cop, you know, tackled him right away. And that, that happened. Um, Okay, that's it. That's that. There's nothing else. It's not like, and then the next day they found a whole bunch of skin suits in his closet. I mean, there was there's nothing else that is on there. That, okay, one time he got drunk and stupid, 
And I, I got to tell you guys, when, when I was younger, I did a lot more things that were drunk and stupid. It's just, number one, there weren't, you know, camera phones on everybody all the time. And two, there wasn't a place where everybody could view this type of activity all the time. And three, nobody would have cared anyway, because who was I? Um, I whatever that's so then okay it's not just that it's it's the overall attitude it's like the crotch grabbing thing and to me and, and the crotch grabbing if you don't know i mean i'm sure that you probably do but they're playing k-state and you show they see they, they, they see mayfield on the sideline and he's he's obviously yelling and, ta- and and pointing at the players on the other sideline grabbing his crotch in a very um definitive gesture uh, probably with some instructions instructions attached to it, but and I get that that is a bad look, particularly in kind of the day and age that we live in. But at the same time, the, the context is kind of important here. If you'll notice on the screen when they're showing that, it shows the score something like twenty seven to nothing. Because Mayfield had just gone out there and obliterated the K-State defense. And the reason that this whole thing even happened is because before the game, the K-State players refused to shake his hand. He went out there at midfield to shake their hand, and they would not shake his hand. Now, when this was all going on, I asked, because this happened, and people were like, oh, well, that wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, well, the K-State players should have done it either. And so it's, it's basically, a, you know, whose fault, finger pointing. And my question, why did they do it? What was because there's context matters, right? If it was like you know, well, you know, it turns out that you know Mayfield had a had a relationship with starting quarterback's little sister and been bragging about. Okay, fine. If it was like an AJ Hawk Brady Quinn type scenario, then okay, I get you know what's going. On. I wonder how many people get that reference, but. If it's, if it's not that, it, 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 and apparently it wasn't. Apparently what it was was that the Kansas State players figured, okay, if we go out there and don't shake this guy's hand, that's going to get in his head because we feel like if we get in his head, that's going to rattle him. And that's going to – I mean, look, if you do that, like if that's the reason why you do something like that, um, you deserve pretty much everything that happens to you. You deserve to get obliterated on the field, and you deserve to have the guy that you tried to set up that way grabbing his crotch in your general direction. And I'm sorry, nothing about that, nothing, not even a little, nothing about that at all, none of it, makes it turns me off about Baker Mayfield. If anything, it makes me feel like, you know what, this guy's, this guy's got, there's something there. Um, this isn't just this. This isn't. There's a, there's a fire there. There's a fire burning there. Is it burning too hot? Maybe I don't care. That's a guy. And I, and I got to tell you. And that's if they, if I had no vested interest in this. In other words, if we already had our our if, if if this whole thing was happening in Canada and we were just it was just like two you know CFL teams, um, I would be on the side of the guy that was like, oh yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're you're not gonna shake my hand. Okay, well here's my foot. And then later on, I got another one for you. But I'm I mean, I'm just saying the, that. When you when when, when and, and these are the things that I understand. I get it, and, and I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be an apologist here. I'm just telling you where I'm coming at all of these items and why. When I consider the character question, um, I think that it's it's one of these things that you really it's it's got to be a very subjective type thing. Um, you know, Manzel had a lot of warning flags. But there was also a lot of things about Manziel, and this is where I think some of the comparison comes in, too. He's a fiery guy. Um, he didn't have anywhere near the sort of collegiate success that Mayfield did. Didn't play as long as Mayfield did. He also is one of these guys. You know, I mentioned the whole walking on uh, part of it. You know, Manziel never had to walk on it. Manziel was given everything always. Uh, Mayfield, totally different uh, situations, totally different people. They're, they're totally, everybody is a totally different person is the point. Lamar Jackson is not Michael Vick, for example. 
Um, none of these guys are anybody else. They are their own people. So, and with that in mind, um, I have. I'm, I'm still very much, very, very much on board. Uh, because even and it, you know the other part of it is too is that even if behaviors did suggest a a tendency towards a pattern, um, I'm not convinced that Mayfield and and Manziel are have similar brain types. I think they're probably different. Ty- I think that that Manziel was you know super duper extreme extrovert, um, you know life of the party type guy. Uh, and and I think that Mayfield is more of of a of a honk. He's more of a like a you know like a silly guy. He's kind of like like class clown ish, which may seem like a, a distinction without a difference. But I, I think that there is a difference there. Um, y- you know, I mean, I, I think that there's a difference between wanting to be the guy and and being uh, just being a natural leader. And and I'm, I'm probably butchering this whole uh, thought process or the whole. Uh, if you if if you want to even call it that, I just looked up and realized I've been talking for an hour. Brett's pretty good. That's pretty good when you don't even know. I mean, because the way I got this set up right now, I got this fairly sophisticated the DBN Network Studio outfit here, and I've been sitting here holding the mic the entire time because even though I've got this mount here and it looks really good and it's really stable, it's sitting on the same freaking desk that the computers are on. So there's this annoying hum that's in there. So I got to hold the thing, and I know that telling you people this is really going to endear me to you even further because you're like, what the hell do I care? What you have to deal with? Talk to me, funny man. Even though I'm not really a funny guy, and what am I? I'm a brown, brown Browns man. Okay, I, I can I can do I can deal with that. Um, so with, um, you know, with that, I just think that they're 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 different. Guys. I think I'm probably um, closer to like uh, Mayfield's brain type than than not that I have anything at all in common. I'm not physically gifted or anywhere near as gifted as one of these guys. Again, we're talking about the way that people process information. And the way that Mayfield processes information is very different than the way that Manziel processes information, or anybody else does, for that matter. So that's just my whole my whole thing, man. Everybody's different, baby. You know, the world is a complex tapestry of unique snow flowers. Snow, what the hell is a snow snowflower? <laughs> okay, that's cool. No, I'm gonna leave it like that. Snow flowers. It's a thing. It's a thing, and it's born right here on the DBN network. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It, and. You know, I, uh, I I I just appreciate um, you know everybody being yeah, the, the time. I appreciate you being on the other side of this. You know, this whole thing that we do here, uh, and it's it's you know, admittedly, admittedly, it's been you know a little sparse the last couple of weeks. But you know, the thing that I've noticed is that there's been a um, a, a a resurgence or a surgence, maybe a surge, maybe. Uh, you know, a a a, a, a more of an embiggening of uh, podcast options out there. Mention the uh, the Joe Thomas. Also, want to uh, throw one out there for uh, Josh Finney and Mike Krupa. Krupka. They're doing stuff out there, and uh, I don't I don't look at any of that ever. It, it, the way I think about things, I never look at this, and it's true in my own in my in my own actual professional life. I don't look at competition like I don't look at more voices as competition per se. Because I can't possibly talk for 24 hours a day every day. It's just not, it can't happen. I don't want, and I'm not interested in it, and you don't want to hear it. So everybody wants options. And thus, you know, the more people there are that are kind of on this weirdo platform that, you know, that is kind of new in the, the world of uh, the spoken word format, um, 
you know, more power. It's so much the better. You know what I mean? It's it's like if there's more stuff out there to hear, then the entire platform grows, and then we all succeed, right? Rising tide and all that. So you know, Finney and Krupka, both those dudes are good guys. Um, Krupka had the the mother of all breakdown articles last year with uh, Pat Mahomes, and it was it was and, and people mistake this. It was like 120 to 130 something like that. They weren't gifts. They were not gifts. What they were is they were video breakdowns with commentary, breaking down plays with replay. So it would show the play with commentary, what he was trying to do during the play, and then it would back it up to show it again after he explained what it was. I mean, it was it was, it was, was probably more work than anybody has ever done. I have to mention this because it was a great, great piece of work. And a lot of people are like, oh, you broke the internet. Oh, I took forever my page to load. It, it did. I mean, it was. It was mammoth. Um, although I learned later on that if you do actually just use GIFs within a certain uh, parameters that you can actually put. I, I did an article a couple weeks after that uh, with Sean Coleman and Cam Irving where I had like 90-some GIFs on there. And it loaded up just fine because I wasn't putting full videos of each play on there and then going through them. I was just like, okay, here's the play. Take a look at it. Um, with a little bit of commentary in, be- in between. But you get what I'm saying. Anyway, Finney and Krupka, good guys. Listen to their stuff. Uh, it's out there. I can't think of what it's called, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that, that's not a, you know that's what that's what that's what a that's what a dick does. You know, he's like, hey, yeah, you listen to those guys. We can tell you where they are, though. It, it, they're out there. Uh, I just can't. I, I saw it. I just can't think of the name of it right now. The um, Joe Thomas. He was. He had. He started. You know, when he got hurt, he did the first podcast in NFL history, and I had a chance to listen to all of those yesterday. Um, I haven't had a chance to really take in uh, the Tomahawk show. That was, and the, the only bit of it that I have seen, the only bit of Tomahawk that I have seen was the interview that they did with Baker Mayfield, <clears throat> which is like 10 minutes long. And I got to say, in my snapshot analysis, and I'm going to go and watch and listen to all of them, um, in the first place, that combination, that synergy is is fabulous. Thomas is a first-rate, I mean, he, he's He's got some things that he's got to work on, uh, you know, as far as his technique is concerned. And he's, you know, he's he's never done this before. And so when you're listening to the first podcast in NFL history, all four episodes of it, you see some, kind of some rookie stuff, you know, in play. But the guy has a very relatable style. Um, and he, he definitely comes across as a warm, inviting guy that that you get the sense in listening to that, like, if – like especially if anybody that actually listened to all of those like if you went and told him hey well you know I used to run track or I used to play baseball like you, you like he would actually care like he would want to hear about that like oh yeah what'd you do like okay what'd you play I, you know how how successful did you get any you know uh, recruiting letters you know that type of stuff because he just he has that empathetic feel I've always said this this is true this is this is true in so many things and I, you know I've, I've it, it really is it, it's one of these things that revolutionized my life when I when I really got it people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care from a media perspective this is i mean the only thing that's more important to know when it comes to any sort of media is that you have to that your job is to connect a lot of people don't understand that that really is the only job of any media is to connect joe thomas connects uh and he connects i think even even betterer like after i uh you know took that in and i and i loved it i mean i'm listening to these guys and i learned a whole bunch about uh joel batonio and christian kirksey and um Miles Garrett, and I, I mean, it was just really, and, and a lot about Joe Thomas. So really, you know, it, it was, that was a very cool thing 
to to take on. And so then I'm listening to now a little part of this Tomahawk deal with him and Andrew Hawkins, who was a wide receiver for us for a couple of years um, out of the league now, which is unfortunate. He's good. He was a good player. Um, really, really liked him a lot. Would have pr- liked to have him on the team last year. Would have had so many damn drop passes. But what are you going to do? Um, but Hawkins is a full blown natural when it comes. Like that guy has. He's just so. I mean, like, I look at Joe, and I think, okay, he's really good at this, at this, at this. Yeah, and he's kind of like a, you know, when, it, when he does, and I'm not going to get, you know, too much inside baseball on, on, on a lot of this stuff, because I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of uh, picking nits. He's very, 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 very good in the really important things that you look for. Um, but but Hawkins is just like, he, he's, he's just stepped into the you know, first day, he's like, this guy's ready to go. Um, he, he's, 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 uh, you know he's turnkey, as it were. You can, I mean, the guy is just from a, from a broadcast. I'm, I'm, if you haven't figured out, I'm doing, all of this is coming out from a broadcast. Not that. By the way, who the hell am I? Like you're like, well, you see, that's really cool of you to say. Um, you know, who? Why should anybody care what you have to think? This guy, the Cleveland media guy. I don't know if he's got a television show or a radio. I've heard his name before. I think it's, I think it's Rizzo. Um, this guy is. It was a couple weeks back. He's like, oh yeah, well. I think the uh, Tom uh, the thing it's it's nice and everything, but you know you're stepping in my world now, so maybe. And it was just this, it was this stupid. I don't even. I, I it's not even enough for me to try to remember how uh, the accurate statement that was made because it was just mindless. But more importantly than that, this is a guy that's in media. What's your job to connect? Who do you think that you're connecting with by by trashing a guy that is universally loved? Who also, and this is not insignificant, doesn't suck. I mean, he's not bad at this thing. So if he's pretty good at it and he is actually connecting with somebody, what possible good? What good would it do me, for example, to get on here and just rip into like Thelonious and his show? I mean, first of all, I mean, this, this whole network thing was kind of like, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I don't want to you know take too much of the blame here, but it was kind of my thing, and so I mean, it was all about. Bring, I mean, what good would it do to to trash people because you know, and and it's because it's your business, it's your world. This is something. There's a reason why I'm talking about this. I, I believe that it is a a problem that exists within multiple facets of media, and I, I use the phrase media there as opposed to the media because I think that. It's one of these things that it's worth making a key distinction on. And this is true, actually, if you were to extrapolate this into uh, the larger world. But I don't really delve into that arena here. I am, you know, so I'm, I'm just going to keep it to football and sports uh, when, it, when it comes to this particular phenomenon about which I am uh, discussing. And that is this idea that people that practice in what is considered the i don't know the popular the mainstream however you want to describe really the traditional ways of people um acquiring information that's what media is right when you just the term media what it means is anything that can provide stuff to you whether it would be through uh, you know written words spoken word um you know a megaphone is media in the sense that you can amplify your voice and more people can hear you um so, but when people think think about the media, what they are thinking about is what's also often referred to as the press. And really, what they're talking about are the people that report for newspapers, that are anchors on television, that are, um, you know, uh, correspondents on cable, whatever. That's that's what. And these folks that exist, and this is true in the sports media, um, 
or I should say it's true in sports media, that these guys kind of feel like they are um, – <sighs> Like they're 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 that they do something that is so magical that that um that they're I'm I'm having a, a difficult time connecting here. I'm having a difficult time uh, p- putting this in in the in the proper phraseology because I'm not really trying to rip into this schmuck Rizzo. I don't I don't really care one way or another. And I don't know he'll probably hear this and be like oh easy you didn't know what the hell he's doing like like it matters like it matters what I think right. That's kind of the point here. It doesn't really matter what you think, dude. Um, you're not in control of anything. It's not your world. You are very small part of a huge world. And here's the thing: you can actually occupy a pretty you know significant space of that part of the world it's never going to be your world you're never really going to be a major player in that world because it's just the world um and none of us are ever really that big of a spot that's kind of the point here thomas comes along and just decides you know what? i'm just going to start talking to people hey man i can relate that's what we did here. That is the DBN network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. It was literally some guys that got together and said, hey, why don't we just try to put something together that is just some guys here that just, you know, record some stuff. I mean, we had grandiose plans at the beginning, but we're just going to talk, right? We're just And we're just going to put it out there and see if anybody wants to hear it. And the fact that you are listening to it is a testament to the fact that, hey, we were able to, now we did have, we did stuff. I mean, at the very beginning of all of this, we had some recruiting campaigns and we had, we we employed, uh, I would say, brilliantly conceived and flawlessly executed marketing campaign leading up to the uh, the launching of the network, uh, from which I think a lot of our charter uh, listenership was was really um, it really came from all of that, which is great. But I mean, it wasn't because you know, there was there was no there, there was no no like network backing this. There's no like company out there. This is all right. We're going to give you. It was just us. It was just some people that decided. You know what? I can connect. I can I can put together a platform. That, and I'm, I'm I'm not saying me here. I'm talking about when I when I use the I. I'm using the I in the universal sense of all of the guys that are involved in this. We can do this. Um, and if you're out there, if you're listening and you think, you know what, I, I could actually, uh, or if you know somebody, that's I, I never really said this before. If you know somebody out there that you think, you know, that guy or that gal would really be, you know, they, they if they had a microphone, they could really you know, tell them. And, if, and especially, well, it, well, of course, kind of the thing is they do kind of have to be Browns fans in order for this to be relevant. Um, you know, hey, send them my way. You know, send them my way and let's get them on. Let's start, have them start talking about this stuff because that's the whole point. The, I'm a different dude than you're probably going to hear um, talk about this stuff than anybody else, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the point? I mean, do you ever, like, listen to my stuff and, and come away like, oh, yeah, I hear that from everybody? I, I would hope not because I tend not to think about stuff like other people do uh, on purpose. It's like uh, General Patton said. If everybody's thinking the same thing, somebody's not thinking. We're not necessarily in such, uh, you know... Uh, important uh, consequential circumstances is like the guy said one time you know football is not about life and death it's more important than that and so that's why you know we did all this so i I say all that to say that you know and and what did thomas do to this when when this whole thing this whole kerfuffle this whole little hubbub took place uh tom he goes out there and he says hey i appreciate you listening out there tony (laughs) it was perfect it was the absolute perfect response it demonstrated that thomas has more political savvy than the guy bragging about how it's his world and how if he's going to compete and of course he tried walking it back the next day but the point was the damage was already done and it's it proves really a couple of things um better to let everybody think that you're a jack wagon than to open up your mouth and and uh remove all doubt that's the first thing 
But then the second thing is, man, I mean, there is no sense in picking fights with in, in picking fights that you can't win. And there was no way for him to win this. And there was no way that he was connecting with anybody. And especially in this in this line of work, I mean, in this business, and this guy is... That's a good way to put negative attention on yourself. And there's no appreciable benefit. What, like, do you think that you're going to get uh, people to say, you know what, that's true, that, that Joe Thomas, that SOB, I mean, he really is kind of a, a kind of a rank brook. No, because Thomas comes across as a warm guy that people are going to be, if he lacks some polish in his broadcast technique... Which, as I indicated, is a little bit. But hey, look. By the way, if you're out there, Joe, listen, baby. I, I will get. I will be happy. I will give you um, as much free time as you want. Not that. And, and you know, here's here's the uh, the punchline. Not that you should listen to anything that I have to say. Because who am I, right? I mean, that, that goes. But I mean, I'm just saying, if if you if you hear this, like, hey, this guy seems to know something about this. I'd like to hear more, uh, brother. I will give you free um, lessons, you know, for the rest of the time. Hawk. I mean, I'll do what I can, but you've already got it. I mean, you're you're already, you're already there. I mean, the guy's already guys. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that I like one more than the other. I'm just saying it, it's. This is not natural for for everybody, and so you know when you when you see somebody that is good. Now I'm saying Joe, he's he is a natural in in what he does. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to um to to really diving into the whole tomahawk thing. But the, the the real major point about this is that this was something that sprung up out of an injury, right? I mean, Thomas was you know going about minding his own business, being the best left tackle to ever play the game. He ends up. Uh, you know, pulling up lame on a play that, uh, you know, he throws Brian Arakpo to the ground as uh, possibly his final act in the NFL. And then you see him uh, fall to the ground in pain, and then he's, it's over, and, um, and, you know, and you remember that all too well. So the guy's out there, can't do anything, right? Can't work out. He's in, uh, you know, he's, he's in rehabilitation. He's out of the routine that he's been in for over a decade. Every year it's the same thing. We're going to, you know, we're going to have off-season, then we're going to have training camp, then we're going to have preseason, then we're going to play the regular season, and then it'll be over. But, you know, this is the first time that he actually uh, that it was different from that, not because we made the playoffs, but because you know, he was uh, you know, midway through the year, he's just kind of sitting there and had already done everything that he was going to do, you know, diligence-wise. So, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to set up this thing and I'm just going to start talking and see if anybody wants to listen to me and look at where the guy has gotten. Look at where the guy has gotten just deciding, I'm going to do this. I think that there's a, a um, an inspirational message there. I think that – it's another thing about this that whole thing that's interesting to me that I'll get to in a moment, but um, it does point out that, man, if you just – if you just do it, I mean, there's so many things out there um, that, and, and, and I think this is true in life. A lot of limitations that people have are self-imposed. In other words, a lot of things, a lot of reasons why people don't do something that they think they could or ought to or should do is because they themselves talk themselves out of out of it. I can't do this, or I can't put the time into this, or I'm not good enough to do this, or I. And this is a big one here. Or I don't want to move halfway across the country or all the way around the world in order to uh, you know accomplish. Okay, look, they're, they're, all of them may be totally true, and um, you know things that you have to consider. In in order, uh, and, and you have to be honest with yourself. They all may be true, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that you are the one doing the limitation. You know, if there's a job out there that you really really need, that or that you or that I didn't even put it that way. If there's a job out there that you really want, it's your dream job, but you got to go live somewhere that's different from where you've grown up and spent your entire life. You know what? That's a that's a decision you got to make. But you know what? If you do make that take take that step, then guess what? You're going to 
you're going to end up accomplishing more because you're going to end up willing to sacrifice more. You know, what you put into it is what you're going to end up getting out of it. I, this is, <laughs> this is the easy weave motivational hour. It's not, nothing at all to do with, with any of that. It's just to say that Joe Thomas is a great example of a guy with this little endeavor that he has. He's probably parlayed it into an immediate media job once his NFL career is over. And he may even be able to, and if you're listening to me, Joe, I can talk to you about some ideas on this. Um, he could parlay it into running his own thing um, and having you know the, the, the media that exists out there come to him and possibly waste a profit off of it. Joe, call me. We could talk. But anyway. Um, I'm just saying there's there's when you live in this world and you exist in this and and there may be um, uh, not maybe there most certainly when you especially when you throw the social media aspect of all of this into it, when you consider that all of these platforms are easily shareable and that we are more plugged in to with each other um, than we've ever been, you know, on any scale in, in human history, uh, when you throw all that, you know, together throw all that into the hopper um guys that, that that try to make these you know these kind of personal public uh few and, and again this guy you know tried to walk it back but i just thought it was the most absurd thing to do because there was no way to win it there was no way for him to come out on top there's no way for him to not look like a verifiable horse's arse during the whole thing um but then at, at the same time it really got me to thinking about you know what how badly this guy misconstrues the business that he's in and and it's it's i mean it's it's kind of funny because you know thomas joe thomas you know he he's not in that same business but he seems to get it comes back at it with good cheer laughing it mock you know he and he and he it's i highly highly recommend of course if you're listening to this you probably already in fact um i'm sure that i'm the plan b like you probably exhausted all of your tomahawk hours like oh yeah yeah, you're just now getting into this. You're so far behind the times. Yeah, like I, like that is so much better than anything that you've ever done. So I mean, I'll listen to you because you're there, but only because you're there. You kind of suck. Otherwise, I, I get all that, right? I mean, I'm not. <clears throat> By the way, that was a spot on impersonation of you. I understand why um, you you think that way, um, but I'm just saying, from a just from a looking at it from you know the guy would have been if he doesn't have the torn peck. You know, he's going to be playing all year. This whole thing doesn't happen. Um, but out of an opportunity, what do I always say? You know, uh, luck is where opportunity and preparedness meet. So, and this is a situation where, I mean, okay, you want to look at being injured and be on the shelf as an opportunity. Well, you know what? There's a lot, you know, worse ways to look at it. <laughs> he, could have, he could have spent the entire offseason thinking my career is over. I'm never going to be able to get back to playing, you know, the way I was before, which he doesn't seem like that type of guy. But I'm saying there's... A, it goes back to a lot of the uh, the impositions people have on themselves. They they do to themselves. They do to themselves. I should say. I should inflect in that in that way. But by the same token, um, a lot of the uh, <clears throat> a lot of the limitations that people have are predicated on them talking themselves into things that uh, that may or may not be true. But it, it, it be that as it may. Um, if you are somebody or you know somebody that uh, that thinks they can talk for a while to uh, somebody that isn't there in front of them, then hey, you know, give me a, give me a shout. Uh, easyweave at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. There was uh, one one uh, guy that reached out a couple weeks ago, and I was kind of derelict in getting back to him quickly. I'm starting to get it, like I say, at the, at what I said at the outset of this. I, I'm kind of at the end of a work-rest cycle that's going to allow me now to get um, back into the swing of things and a little bit more 
of a of a regular thing because that's really what <clears throat> this whole thing is missing quite honestly is a regular um reliable you know kind of you can you can always count on you know every whether it be every day every week something like that i mean i was like that during the season to some extent um, but you know, just but we need more voices. We need your voice. And by the way, if you're somebody that's on the network, you know, uh, the Thelonious or Mramer or Scott and Robo or uh, you know BTB. I don't care. I don't want to hear your attitude, BTB. Same thing with you, Dartho. Come on, guys, get back on here. Record some stuff. Let's get out of there and talk to the people because we are Browns fans talking to Browns fans. And this bond that we have is special. It's it's not something that. I mean, look, if you're here. Chances are. I know there's a couple of Raiders guys out there. Shout out to Keith, uh, my dude. But chances are, if you're out there, you're out there listening because you love this team. You were here most likely before Jimmy Haslam. You were here certainly before you know any of the player before anybody ever heard of Baker Mayfield or Johnny Manziel. Hell, you might have been around like me, been around before Joe Thomas even started high school. You've been watching this team and, and loving this team. And to have still, you know, to the extent that you're still here, you're still paying attention, you're still listening, you're still reading, you're still looking at this draft class and saying, what could, you know, maybe we do this, one, we could do this, and four, we could do this, and this is my favorite quarterback, and this is who I definitely don't want to take, and all. That's a special bond, y'all. That's a very special bond. And it's kind of, again, kind of counterintuitive because the Browns have, dem- you know, they've demonstrated they don't care. They don't care about us, it doesn't matter. But you know what? I uh, I care about you, and as like we were, I was pointing out um, in the chow last week, in a I thought was a you know decent discussion. It was about you know, things have been this has been a tough time for everybody, and so we're talking about it all the one day. And uh, you know, I made the point that you know the stuff that we talk about, even the stuff that's you know, and all this stuff is on record. I mean, you can go back and listen to previous broadcasts if you want to. It's all on the uh, the uh, the the uh, SoundCloud page. At some point, Manly and I will probably resurrect the old actual page as we actually start doing more stuff. We are gearing up for the draft, and I'll talk about that here, um, you know, here uh, momentarily. But you know, as we as as we uh, uh, do more of this stuff or try to do more of this stuff, it's always just been about, um, you know, just just talking about the the, the weird. You know, Sasanak, my homeboy, I've talked about him lots of times. He, he he nailed it. The first the very first post that I ever saw that he wrote, he was like, Hey, you know, um there's there's something about an entitlement, you know, a mindset that a lot of people have in a lot of other NFL teams, and I didn't feel that when I came to DBN. I didn't feel that around Browns people. The only sense of entitlement Browns fans have is they feel entitled to disappointment, and we are almost never let down as far as that goes. Uh but even then, sometimes you feel like, Oh, you know what, I might actually be able to pull this off and it doesn't happen whatever uh but i mean you know if you have low expectations it's very difficult to be disappointed but yet if you are here and if you are still here after one and 31 after four and 49 i am not exaggerating y'all that's what the record has been if you're still here that means there's something about you that is well it's 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 special however you want to define special it is that is it and and I got it too. And so we um I don't know if I told you about this guy. There's a guy I met, he was uh, like a chef and he was I, I was interacting with him for something work related and <clears throat> the guy was like one one guy I was talking to was like, Oh yeah, my buddy's you know, the other guy here, the chef, he's a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. So I went to go talk to him, I'm like, Hey, so I hear you're similarly afflicted. He's like, Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. So like, I'll talk about I'll talk about the Cavs or I'll talk about the Buckeyes, but I'm not gonna talk about the Browns. I'm like, okay. This guy didn't even know me, and yet <clears throat> 
he just shut it down right there because he realized, like, yeah, I probably get it. You're probably okay, but I'm just not. I just, I just don't have the patience. Right. Which, hey, look, I get that. That's one of the reasons why I haven't really been wanting to talk about all. Because I mean, what are we? You know, what are we talking about? It's the same stuff every year. For me, um, you know, we're heading into this this uh, off season free agency period. That's again the next thing that happens here. After, you know, we, we don't really have anybody on tap that we have to worry about re-signing. There's basically two guys. Isaiah Crowell and Jamie Meter, and I don't think that either one of those guys are high priorities. Meter probably hangs on. They could, I think that that he's in the he was Erfurt last year, so he'll probably get a uh, a tender. I would imagine probably an original round tender. I would think he'll end up getting, and I wouldn't imagine he'll even shop it around because hey man, he's the uh, progy prince of Parma or whatever. Um, so I, I would imagine. So I mean, I, if he's if he's a high priority for you, I think that you'll probably be okay. Crowell is probably gone, but that's really about it. There's not anybody else that we have to worry about leaving because the the club is pretty well um, situated as far as the talent that's on the roster. There's nobody that we that we're in a position that we have to worry about re-signing long term. So then that just leads to the free agent options that are out there. And again, I mentioned earlier that I would rather just go with a rookie then go with uh kirk cousins and this is a i i can understand the argument on both sides of this kirk cousins is a proven nfl starting quarterback is he a good quarterback well i mean i don't know i guess it depends on who you talk to a guy that puts up the sort of numbers that he does yeah that looks like a good quarterback guy that you know and when you watch him he does all the quarterbacky stuff that makes you think yeah he's a pretty good quarterback um is he a really good quarterback i mean i don't you know, I think that you, you, you um, generally speaking, if guys are are worth it, right? If guys are worthy of that sort of consideration, they're probably not going to become available. A, a top tier quarterback is generally just not going to become available, except via the draft. And usually, uh, the most amount of certitude is going to happen when you pick the first guy. And if the guy is picked with the number one overall pick, that seems to be the only thing where there's any sort of you know statistical. Um, correlation to success is the guys picked number one overall do more often than not tend to work out although it's not a given but more often than not they do tend to work out all right but outside of that there really isn't that's what all this you know semtex we talk about that it's a way to try to see in advance whether or not a guy is going to be successful and the reason that we do all this draft evaluation is to find out is the guy going to be successful and you look at a guy like cousin you say okay here's a guy that has been successful but you also look at a guy like Cousins and you say, okay, is he going to get better than he currently is? I think he's a good quarterback right now. I think that you can say Kirk Cousins is a good NFL quarterback. Would I like to have a good NFL quarterback on the Absolutely, I'd like to have a good NFL quarterback. Is he the type of quarterback that's going to be able to get you deep into the playoffs? Well, there you go. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because it's difficult to say because the the situation in Washington has not been the most advantageous. And as I say, most of the time, if a guy is worthy, he's not going to become available. Well, that's because the reason, the only reason that this time may be an exception, and it will be because they're going, they're not going to tag him now that they've um, traded for Alex Smith, assuming that all that goes through. But the. Um, the red, you know, Washington had had not had a winning record with uh, Cousins at the helm. They went to the playoffs a couple of years ago, when everybody else in the NFC East kind of um, you know kind of defecated all over themselves. So you, I, I don't know that that he has those sort of. And by the way, he didn't go anywhere in the playoffs because a truly elite quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, came in and just tore apart the Redskins' defense, and you know their offense wasn't able to keep pace. And so there you go. Um, so all that to say. You are going to have to commit big time 
to Kirk Cousins if you want him to be your starting quarterback. What do I mean by big time? Well, I've seen the number, and I think this is probably based on Jimmy Garoppolo just got a contract where he's the highest paid player in the league, which I presumably would mean he's the highest highest paid player in league history. Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo has less positive film than does even Cousins. He's got less of a NFL um, pedigree as far as accomplishments in that regard. Yet, he is going to be out on the open market. The difference is that Garoppolo signed with the 49ers. Um, They had the first crack at him. They signed him to deal paying him more than anybody else. Okay, dilly dilly. But then now Cousins is going to go out on the open market and say, well, you know, I can get more than that because he can. That means that the bidding and, and the numbers on Garoppolo is he would have gotten – I saw this tweet last night by somebody. If they just would have tagged him, right, if the 49ers would have just tagged uh, Garoppolo over the next three years, they would have ended up paying him something like $2 million more in overall guaranteed money than this deal is going to end up paying him over that same three-year period of time. Now, let me break that out a little bit more because the, the first thing that ought to be um, – uh, Uh, internalized by that statement is that John Lynch is in fact a good GM or at least is exhibiting good GM traits because that's exactly what you want to do. They've essentially front-loaded the lion's share of the guaranteed cash for the contract and put it at the early part of the contract um, where they have a lot of cap space to work with. The Niners were right there with us as far as cap space that they had available. Well, they've now just shot their entire wad on, on Garoppolo. Well, now... That just leaves Cousins. And Cousins, therefore, this guy that was um, on Twitter was that was making this observation was saying, okay, well, if he's going to get – and the number, by the way, was he would have gotten $92 million about you know, or so if they just would have tagged him for the next three consecutive years. But instead, he's going to get $90 million. That So, therefore, he projects that Cousins is probably going to get in excess of $100 million over three years. But that doesn't mean it's only going to be – a three-year contract. I'd project that he'd probably get a five- or a six-year deal, but the, the vast majority of the guaranteed cash, or at least that much of the guaranteed cash, is going to be allocated um, over the, the early part of the contract, so, which is all, all of that makes perfect sense. So at that point, you're talking about, t- about 28.5 to 30 million to 35 million, which is what his cap number would have been if Washington would have kept him. That's what you're talking about shelling out for this guy. All right, at that point, I don't think that you're drafting a quarterback number one overall. I don't think that you can, and I don't think that you draft him at number four either. In fact, at that point, if you're shelling out that sort of cash for Kirk Cousins, then what we have now going on is we've got Cousins as our starter, and Kaiser is now our developmental guy. And you know what? That's not a terrible place to be in. If you, th- I think this is the major caveat. If you think that there's a reasonable expectation that Cousins could turn the quarter and become uh, turn the corner and become that type of guy that is a legit franchise caliber dude that's going to get you deep into the playoffs and put you on the you know knocking on the door to get into the Super Bowl every year type of guy. He's not that guy right now. And there's very few of those guys. Um, but he's a guy that is is good. He's a good he's a good quarterback. He's a good starting NFL quarterback. Is he worth 30 plus million a year at the expense of passing on these four quarterbacks I talked about earlier not Josh Allen but the other four guys maybe the best draft class ever uh, you know I mean and and the Redskins just gave up on this guy 
for about the same amount of money that somebody's going to have to pay him anyway, so that way they could trade for Alex Smith and probably see whichever, if, if any of those four guys uh, fall. And if not, maybe they will go with Josh Allen because some people are crazy enough to think that he could actually be a first-round pick. I'm looking at you, uh, Mel Kuyper's hair. I'm just saying there's. it's not likely that – like. The, I, I find it preposterous to even have him in that conversation. Um, and I actually think what's likely to happen here is that the top four guys are going to be gone like – like seriously high top 10 like maybe top five or top six or something like that um and if somehow they break through then a team like uh, washington or arizona or somebody like that is going to get him but if not i think that josh allen is probably going to end up going to pittsburgh that that that, that's my prediction prediction of my projection is that by the time they get to the steelers uh, because roethlisberger has already said now you know last offseason that he was uh not sure about whether he was ever going to come back and you just know, and then he goes out there last year, gets beat up even more, and you just know that it, at some point they're going to have to to take a swing at somebody, and they're probably you know going to be in a spot where if he plays, you know, it's kind of like Brady. If Brady retires, let's say he would have retired after this year, the, the the Patriots are screwed because they don't have anybody, um, and they would have had to probably leverage whatever assets they could to try to move up and get somebody. But it's very, 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 very difficult to move up in the draft to get a actual bona fide quarterback prospect that is worth trading up to get. It's just it just doesn't happen very often. Um, some might argue that unless they're trading with us, right? But if you're the Patriots, it's probably not an option. If you're the Steelers, not really a whole lot of difference, right? As long as Roethlisberger pr- plays, they're probably going to be good. So if you've got a guy that you know that that uh, Kuiper's hair says is going to be the first overall selection by us, and he's sitting there at pick twenty eight or twenty nine or wherever you are selecting. Uh, I, I, that's what I see happening. I'm not saying that it's a good pick for them. I think you know, I'm not a big Josh Allen guy. I I, I just see holes in his game. Not to say that he couldn't make it. I just see I see a I see a worse version of Deshaun Kaiser, quite honestly. <clears throat> and we have Deshaun Kaiser. That's kind of the point. If we're going to get Cousins, I would rather just stick with Kaiser, and and we'll just see what we have with that dude. Oh, I can't believe I used that expression, but there it is. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what what the kid can do, and, and in time that decision will will work itself out. And if after several years, you know Kaiser decides, hey man, uh, you know I'm, I'm, I, somebody's going to pay me to be a starter somewhere, and he does the you know tries the Mike Glennon route, then more power to him. Or after a couple of years, he's like, hey, man, I'm a good backup quarterback and I'm going to sign for good backup quarterback money and you sign and he'll just be a backup quarterback in Cleveland forever. Whatever. I'm fine with that. I'm I'm not out on Kid Zeppelin. I'm not out on him at all. I think that that um, there's still a lot of his story left to tell. But more likely than not, I, in fact, I think that getting somebody like Cousins is probably more of a chance that Cous- that, that Kaiser could get another shot at some point. Uh, and I, this is not to say anything bad about Kirk Cousins. I like Kirk Cousins, and I would be—I would not be unhappy at all, right? If that's—if that's what happens, and we end up picking the guy up. And if you look at teams out there with cap space, there's basically us and the Jets. We're really about the only ones. If it is only about the money, then really, there's—I mean, it's us and the Jets. And if it's us and the Jets, I mean. Come on, kids. I don't like our chances there. I mean, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm Cousins and I'm looking at their situation versus our situation, I'm thinking I'm going to go play for Todd Bowles. And, and by the way, I'm going to have a really, really awesome killer uh, backup quarterback in Yvonne Drago who's going to be there, and he's going to do whatever the hell I need done because he's awesome like that. You know, it, it's not – if the money is similar, I mean, we can kiss that whole thing goodbye. So that 
that's my projection. That's why I'm still Bayfield at number one all the way. And if not him, one of the other guys. Um, honestly, the hierarchy at this point of acceptable outcomes is you know Mayfield at one. Um, if not him, somehow we finagle a deal to get Mahomes. If not either of those guys, then any of the three that I've mentioned you know, previously, Rosen, uh, Darnold, or Jackson, and not Josh Allen. Um, and if none of those, Kirk Cousins. And well, in, in that scenario, we would have we, – Kaiser would be – in fact, in every scenario, Kaiser is the backup. Kaiser is still developing. Kaiser is still a developmental project. You know, we spent 16 ga- 15 games with him last year learning the quarterback position. It'd be nice if we could see it, like, if it actually would pan out, right? Not that I – see, the worst option would be to just trot him out there as the starter next year. I don't want that, right? That's not what I'm going for. Actually, no, the worst, 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 worst possible option is that the Bengals slap a second-round tender on Chesty, and then we go out and sign him to a long-term contract and make him the starter and then don't draft a quarterback with the first and the four. Like, can you imagine? Like, what if we do this? What if we sign Chesty to a long-term deal, paying him, like, you know, some crazy amount of money that he doesn't deserve, and we go out and do that, and then with the first pick we, we draft Saquon, and with the fourth pick we take Allen? That would be – that's something – that's basically exactly what I expect to happen. Because my default position is I totally expect for Dorsey to screw all of this up. And I don't mean to – I mean, I could be wrong. That's what I'm saying. Earlier on, you know, there are some people that say, okay, if easy says it, it's going to automatically be wrong. Well, let's hope that that's the case here because I expect for all of it to come crashing and burning down. And for really it not to get better ever until Jimmy Haslam figures out that he's got a hierarchical problem, um, as, I, uh, as, I, as I talked about earlier on. But I think that the chances of us getting uh, Cousins are, are very, very slim. I think it's possibly more – uh, of a uh, possibility that we could pick up somebody like Allen Robinson. But, I mean, the thing about Robinson is that chances are the reason that he's leaving Jacksonville is because he can't handle Blake Bortles. Well, if he can't handle Blake Bortles, then, you know, is he really going to be on board with whichever qu- uh, rookie quarterback we're going to be throwing out there? Unless we're – somebody had this idea where you schedule Cousins and uh, Robinson to come to Berea on the same day, you know, to do their contract, and, go, and they happen to run into each other while they're there – and by the way, Josh Gordon is just kind of hanging out doing football stuff. He's like, I don't know, throwing fo- like him and Njoku are just like throwing footballs and each other back with their shirts off, looking all you know, like ready to, uh, to impress people on the football field. And Cousins and A Rob see this, and then they go into the office where we proceed to back up the Brinks truck for the both of them. And then once Joe see- Joe Thomas sees this, he decides to come back and play, and we basically fixed our entire offense. Now then, this this theory follows that we would draft uh, Saquon Barkley with the number one overall pick. And that's where I firmly get off the train because I am not a Saquon. I'm not a I'm not a never Saquoner, but I am a I'm I'm not down with him at one or four. I think he's a good prospect. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not a running back has a very high threshold that you have to pass in order to be worthy of one of the top you know picks, you know top five pick. And the guy just doesn't do it for me. Guy, he's just he's he jumps around too much and he runs backward too often. Those two things I'm just not seeing as a um, something that's – I just don't see it as, as success, which he can emulate in the NFL. Um, I think that he'd be a fine pick, maybe mid-first rounder. But I'm, just, I'm just not there with him, and I think that there are – and I don't think that he would have that sort of like grandiose impact on the offense either because of those things. I think that he'd be a fine back and a good addition, but I, I, I think that comparatively speaking, you, you could get a really good running back Maybe not an elite back, but that's kind of what I'm saying. I don't think the Saquon is that sort of game-changing talent that a lot of people think that he is. 
I just think that he's a good prospect. But I think that there's a lot of good prospects that we could get in the draft, like Geis or like uh, Jones or like Kelly or a couple of other guys that are out there, just like there's a, whole, a bunch of wide receivers. So that's the idea is that we get Cousins and then we get uh, A-Rob and then Joe comes back and then we get Barkley and the offense is fixed and we go out there. We're still going to have Hugh, though, so there's not really a whole lot we can do about about all of that. But um, at any rate, this was the uh, uh, the uh, I don't know the early to mid February edition of Easy Does It with Me, Easy Weave on the DBN Network. It just uh, you know I just ha- hadn't talked to y'all in a while, so I had to get back out here. And uh, hopefully the um, the stuff was I don't know somewhat edifying, um, you know maybe maybe enjoyable to listen to. Uh, maybe you got a chuckle here or there, and uh, if so, then uh, then then that gives me the happies. I hope that you have a a wonderful time out there in whatever you're doing, and uh, you know, hit me up out there. We'll talk soon. Oh, I wanted to mention we are definitely going to be doing as we did the last year with the draft coverage. It will be starting on the day of the draft. Might as well start promoing it now. It will go through the draft weekend, and God willing, if I can get some, I will make the same uh, promise that I made the last time. We will go as long as we can possibly go the last time that meant as far as the beginning of the seventh round and then i just ran out of gas so that also means that i'm recruiting for people that you know maybe want to join in on this whole thing too so you know hit me up easyweave.com if i easyweave.com i haven't done that yet now watch somebody go out there and buy the domain uh and i don't care if you do because i'm not going to get it but i'm saying easyweave at gmail.com is uh, the place where you can, you know, send this to me and, you know, let me know that you'd like to be a part of it or just mark it on your calendar that we're going to be doing it, you know, over the, the uh, we'll come up with the platforms. I'll let y'all know about it uh, as we get closer to it. And we should have a larger footprint this year because we've got the apparatuses of, um, of the Dogs by Nature site, which has been tremendously uh, supportive of everything that we do here. And I'm grateful for that. So, and I'm grateful for you too. I hope that um, you are well out there. And uh, as always, um, you know, go Browns. Good luck. God bless. Take care. See ya. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.
Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.